It's time for the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro and in the heart of Delco. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. Marcus, we are going to shake the foundation of the overconfident white America with some guys named Carlton and William and Henry and Norman. Are we going to Comic-Con? <laughs> no, but they are kind of superheroes in my crew. I'm talking about Carlton Ridenour. William J. Drayton Jr., Henry Hank Shockley, and the man better known as Terminator X, Norman Rogers. And that's why I just used their first names, because you know now who I'm talking about. The one and only public fucking enemy number one. This episode is going to be a blast because this band did and has done what they need to do, and that's make mainstream America a little uncomfortable, and they've done it well. By any means necessary. But they didn't use any violence. They didn't promote violence. They don't. Nope. They aren't active in the way where they want this civil war of any kind. They are more about education and understanding. And justice. Justice and using your voice the right way and being peaceful. And they're so intelligent and they're so talented. Ugh. The true genius not only influences, but allows themselves to be influenced. And that's what you get with Public Enemy. I mean, the core is the core. It's always two friends back to back since the beginning, Chuck and Flav, really with each other's back and watching out for each other on the front side, too. Others have come and gone, like so many great artists who have involved different artists. They've had quite a cast of characters. And it's characters, man. Nobody really is straight up their name, except for maybe the Shockley brothers. True, and the uniqueness of each and every one of them is important because of what it brought to the table and how this band completely changed the game. We talked to Chris Schwartz a couple of years ago about his involvement with hip-hop, but between what he and Schooly D did and what Public Enemy did, they flipped the hip-hop world completely over and changed the game. And like so much in music... This whole thing came together because they were college kids, really. You know, before the whole public enemy thing happened, they all had met in like 1979. Carl Ridenour was using his stage name Chuck D, and he ended, even then, huh? Yeah, even then, he he was using it. He had met Hank at a uh, party or after rapping at a party, and then they got along so well that Shockley offered uh, Chuck D an MC position at this DJ collective called Spectrum City. And right, and they're part of the earliest days of uh, Public Enemy a few years later. Yes, absolutely. Eric Vietnam Sadler is part of that group. The whole uh, Adelphi University College radio station, WBAU, was behind it. So they That's really right. had a the lot of momentum. Really, yeah. The Bomb Squad really is already there. They weren't called that. And it all centers around the college station and, and a vibe going on there. And that's like the Shockleys. And you mentioned Vietnam, Eric Sadler, uh, G. Wiz, uh, Gary Ronaldo, and Bill Stephanie, who would become part of the whole thing with Public Enemy and the label and moving forward. And the fact that they were able to stay together as a collective and grow as a collective says a lot also about movement of hip-hop at that time, very similar to the punk movement and very similar to the hard rock movement where it was very DIY and you really, really, really had to prove yourself before anybody would even consider taking 
taking a chance with you, and I would guess more so with hip-hop than punk or metal at that time. Most people don't think in terms of the collective when it comes to hip-hop roots. They're thinking more like crews, my crew and your crew and this man. But there was a lot more of that, and in this case, it went through that college station, WBAU on Long Island. That's where uh, Bill Stephanie came from. He was the former program director who realized there was something going on with all these guys who were related to the station. And the influences went both ways. What was going on with Chuck D and Spectrum City and everything at BAU had an influence on Rush Productions and Run DMC and also on the Beastie Boys. And then they got influence back from those guys. It's just really more of a group effort at the beginning to find your way forward with this new thing, really. Well, forming at around that same time was Def Jam, and that was Rick Rubin and LL Cool J. They were original partners in that. And Rubin starts to become part of the picture here because he was hired by Stephanie to sign Chuck D. He really liked his song Public Enemy Number 1, which had become kind of an underground thing. Yo, Chuck, what's the move, man? That's where the real original Dr. Dre, Andre Brown, East Coast Dr. Dre, comes into play in the equation as well. I forgot that there was the East Coast Dr. Dre and the West so Coast Dr. I. Dre for a second. I totally blanked out. I was like, I'm oh, like, yeah. Wait a minute. And his first name's Andre, too. So I had a really good <laughs> look close because, you know, time and my brain yep. from the 80s seems to disappear completely unless I can find it on the Internet. Rick Rubin's name keeps popping up here yeah. throughout the scene. In a lot of ways, it's pretty wild how he was able to see what they had and it tells a lot about Rick Rubin's genius because he had the vision to connect with those cats and he saw what they saw even though it was from a different perspective he saw it too and his ears were allowed to enhance that product through studio Around that time, a couple other figures start to work their way into the collective. One is Professor Griff, and he becomes P.E.'s Minister of Information, and there's a story related to that that we'll get to. <laughs> and the other guy is William Drayton. He's always clocking. He always knows what time it is. He actually started out as a DJ at the station, going by the name DJ Flavor, straight-up flavor. You know what I'm saying? And later, of course... Over the top became Flavor Flav, and then, in my mind, he's Flavor Flav. 
There's no O-R in Flavor Flav. I've only known him as Flavor Flav with the VA the whole time. You didn't know him when he was William Drayton? William Drayton, you sit down right now. And you know, the true X factor in Public Enemy is Terminator X at the turntables in those days. There were no CD scratchers back then. Everything was full on vinyl, laying down the beats, connecting everything. And really, in my mind, in some ways, the most important part of Public Enemy. Really? Just saying. My two cents. How so? If you don't have what he's laying down, what he's pulling together, maybe what the guys have to say doesn't come across as well. That's all I'm saying. And it's essential to the chemistry kit. And all these other elements are mixed in, man. You saw the list of all the people who've been part of this. Everybody does everything from adding a few lines to jumping in and giving a few rhymes Mm -hmm. on a record to, you know, maybe they scratch out something on one of the tracks on an album. They're all part of this collective because that's the way it started. And that's the mystery that I'm having solved in this episode all about Public Enemy on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm glad you mentioned the chemistry because listening to their discography, which we will continue to talk about throughout this episode, you hear how good the chemistry is from the beginning. And I think that chemistry allowed them to make a huge jump from the first record to the second record, which we will talk about moving forward. And they played off of each other. They knew how to read each other. They knew how to almost finish each other's raps or sentences in a way. They knew where they were going and they still were able to get that message that they needed to get across and get it across well. Sampling and multi-track recording made a lot of what was happening in hip-hop possible. A lot of it would have been very difficult to do without many, many takes in the four-track days. You know what I'm saying? But everybody works with what they got, and here we're seeing a crew putting together some stuff that's never been done before, and it's starting to turn heads from the earliest days because everybody went, huh? And Bill Stephanie's part of that because it's the attitude and the thinking behind it. He worked for Def Jam, and his quote was, the black man is definitely the public enemy. and You got to recognize what it meant to be black in America then. What it means now is not a whole lot different, but it was worse then and worse before that. So everybody has some sense of the political and social spectrum and where we're headed. And at that point, that's how they felt. And that's why their message resonated not just in the black community, but in the white and Hispanic and Asian communities as well. It's why public enemy speaks for everyone who's ever been stepped on. That's true. If there's a band that represents the people, that band is Public Enemy. At about the time Public Enemy really started rolling, there were a few very important violent events that happened that I think impacted the direction of this band. In 1983, you had graffiti artist Michael Stewart, who was beaten and arrested by the Manhattan police officers, leading to his death in 1984. That's what led to Stephanie's comment, was the the death of Mike Stewart. Yep, an elderly and mentally disturbed woman named Eleanor Bumpers was shot to death by police officers attempting to evict her from her Bronx apartment. In 1984, the Bernard Getz situation happened, and I'll never forget what that guy did because he went into the subway with the intention of shooting somebody and with all of these things happening they're writing music they're performing live they're making noise and they get a chance to record their first album and that album flipped the hip-hop world upside down completely and i don't really know it very well it's called yo bum rush the show Taking no shorts, breaking with the metal of a couple for 
While I'm hearing that boom, supplement the mix. Going to rushing like the bears in the 46. Oh, boys, I don't know what they're part of the pack. In the plan against the man, bum rush attack. For the suckers at the door, if you're up and around. For the suckers at the door, gonna knock it right down. Yo! And I don't really know it. I got to be honest with you. I've been listening to it a little bit as we prepared for this episode, but I didn't jump in till the next record. I jumped in at the next record as well. She Watched Channel Zero was the song that I heard that blew me away and just hooked me. But you're right. I've been listening to Yo Bum Rush the show this past week, and it's really fascinating to hear the early hip-hop and how it changed from record one of Public Enemy to record two. There is a huge jump in production in the way it was recorded and the way it sounds and the way it was mixed. And while I really like Yo Bum Rush the show, their next album sounds so much better. And the way they mix the samples, it's it's almost like it's smoother and there's more of a um, a groove and a flow to it. And in the first album, the drums and the percussion really stands out a lot more than I think the sampling and the other aspects of the, the albums moving forward. Well, we're at the infancy, really, of sampling and its use in music as an instrument, if you want to call it that. It's part of the ambience. It's part of what it's creating. This is where the funky drummer arrives, so to speak, and starts to become a presence, and certain samples start to work their way into all kinds of things. And one of the bands who was really good at that early on were the Beastie Boys, who, by the way, after that first record, took Chuck and the gang out on the road, opening for them at the License to Ill period, just as they were starting to break out. And that put them in a lot of people's grills, so to speak. But in the mix on It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back and Never were truer words spoken in an album title. It's Chuck at the helm with Rick Rubin helping out and Hank Shockley. And they're the guys who seem to figure out what we're talking about here. You even see that big jump and that change in the songwriting. The lyrics flow even more. I also like the way Chuck D's voice evolved in the recordings. Whatever they did with the second album, they gave him more resonance. They gave him his more power. More power. His emotion, his ability to create and make you feel emotion is more defined and more powerful on the second album. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. And I think his voice is what really, really drew me into that band. His voice hooked me. I love listening to him rap the way he does because he's got that charismatic voice, and I think they were able to really capture that essence on that album. The woman makes the men all pause, and if you got a woman, she might make you forget yours. There's a five-letter word that describe her character, but her brain being washed by an actor. And every real man that tries to approach comes across the cop that gets just like a rope. I don't think I can handle. She goes channel to channel, oh, looking for that hero. She watch Channel Zero. Zero. 
laying the base literally for what would come, both the B-A-S-E and dropping the B-A-double-S on it because uh, a track from that, Bring the Noise, is the seed of crossing hard rock and hip-hop together. And Anthrax and Public Enemy would do that famously further down the line. And it would be one of those first little crossovers that would make people think, like, we could put these two things together. And they did. And not only did they do it with Anthrax, they did it with Sonic Youth. They did it with Living Color. They had the Judgment Night soundtrack. And there's another seed on this record, a song called Prophets of Rage, which just over the last few years has begun as a new tentacle for Chuck, working with the guys from Rage Against the Machine, the band part, on their record, Prophets of Rage. And it started with the idea all the way back there. Crazy, right? Absolutely. And this shows you the influence that bands like Public Enemy had on harder rock bands in the 90s, like Rage Against the Machine and like Corn. You hear it in Limp Bizkit. You hear it in all of those bands. You hear it. You feel it in the rhythm of life now. It's not something that's, oh, what's that? It's just part of life. Hip hop is a beat that reflects life. Just saying. You're right. And the percussion aspect is so important into that beat, that life beat. Funky drummer. Have you uh, looked over the sample list on their second album and how much they have used? No, but we could do that in the second half of this episode if you'd like. We definitely should because it reiterates what you had said earlier about the use of sampling and the growth of sampling. Plus, you see songs from all over the musical spectrum that'll blow your mind. But first... A pint from the vats of Crooked Eye. Cheers. Ah, the taste of Crooked Eye. It's like coming home for the holidays, man. And by the way, it'll be the holidays before you know it, Marcus. Getting into the fall season, and so the brews change, and some different things appear on the board. Hey, there's a lot going on, and as always, the best way to find out what's happening at the brewery location in Hapro is on their Facebook. But one thing you know is there's the Blues Jam every Wednesday night hosted by the Crooked Soul Band. And I've been noticing a lot of new names and a lot of new acts appearing recently at Crooked Eye. So go in and see who's playing this weekend. Fresh Brews. PA Spirits in wine, as well as all the fun of the music at both Jamie's House of Music and at the brewery location in Hatboro. Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. After a nice refreshing pint, I'm ready to get back into our discussion about Public Enemy number one. Yeah, that was part of the original uh, thrust, right? That track that got everybody's attention at WBAU Long Island was that uh, thing that they'd worked up, Public Enemy number one. And, you know, it's worked its way into a few songs. Pretty interesting being able to look at that list of samples that you referenced in the first half. Ironically, when you get into It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, the first sample from Countdown to Armageddon, which I love that little intro part on the albums, is from Yo Bum Rush the Show, their previous album. So they sampled themselves to get things started into Bring the Noise. And what a list of things to pull from for that one. Bass, how low can you go? Death Row, what a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible rhyme animal. Public enemy number one, five folks said freeze, and I got numb. Can I tell them that I really never had a gun? But it's the wax that determined the X bun. Now they got me in the cell, cause my records they sell. Cause a brother like me said, well, Farrakhan's a prophet, and I think you wanna listen to what he can say to you. What you wanna do is follow for now. Tell what the people say, make a miracle, keep up the lyrical. Black is back, all in, we're gonna win, check it out. By looking through the list of samples in here, it confirms a fact that we talked about in an episode a while back about the godfather of funk and soul, James Brown, who is the most sampled R&B soul person in music. Another distinction for Soul Brother number one. And in Bring the Noise, one of my favorite songs from Public Enemy, not only is the funky drummer in there, but uh, Get Up, Get Into It, Get Involved is sampled. Get Off Your Ass and Jam by Funkadelic is in there. Good stuff. And they're not only pulling like things you might know and recognize, it's how they use the stuff that they heard and felt that you didn't recognize, like things from 
Marva Whitney, say, or Grand Wizard Theodore and the Fantastic Five, dropping them in there. Do the Funky Penguin by Rufus Thomas. I have no idea about that. Also, the assembly line, a very deep cut by the Commodores, which I know most of their hits and some of their B's and C's, but I do not know a lot of their music, which we would have to address. Big Audio Dynamite is sampled in this album. Mountain is sampled in this album. Long Island ties right there, if I'm not mistaken. Also in the middle of Don't Believe the Hype, the kids from the Tricks Rabbit commercial. Come on, man. Who thinks of this shit? How high you got me? They use Malcolm X in there, so they, they kind of go all sure. over the place. It's intelligent. I'll tell you what. Brother Fred Hampton is embedded into some of their music, and it really reminded me that Hollywood really smoothed Fred's image over a bit when I see him speak in the film where I think it's called Judas and the Black Messiah. And it's just his power and his anger comes across. And it helps me to understand, brother, because we're just a couple white kids from the suburbs. Harder for us to understand. But moments like that in that film and bands like Public Enemy began to help me to learn things that I didn't understand just from reading Black Like Me. How was that? You got to read that book. It's I... essential to me. I, I read, read it when that. I was in fourth, fifth grade, man. Changed my life. I have not read that. I'm going to have to read that. That's a book I'm going to be picking up in the next few weeks. Essentially became a black man and lived as a black man in the South and wrote about it at a time when that was a pretty dangerous thing to take on. Dude, not only did Public Enemy sample themselves from the previous record on this record, they sampled themselves from Bring the Noise on this record on Mind Terrorist. That's how their <laughs> next level thinking is going here. So song number four had a sample from song number two. <laughs> and, yes, and they were also sampling their buddies, uh, the Beastie Boys, from You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party. Yeah! I love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> the hip-hop community was super tight, just like the punk community and just like the alternative community and just like the uh, hard rock community at that time period as well. Everybody got ghettoized, and when things start to cross, when, don't cross the streams, Ray! When the streams start to cross, Marcus, it starts to get really interesting. How does it get interesting when the streams cross, Ray? It leads up to that movie you referenced in the first half, Judgment Night, where the soundtrack was basically a pairing of rock and hip-hop artists. I don't know exactly how they all came together. That would be an episode. Write that one down. I'm Where we find that out, how they all got together for their selections to do together and, and create a lot of original music, too, in that combined genre. But the seeds are already planted at the beginning because you've got people in touch with each other, sampling each other, and it matters what you feel, not what color the guy's skin is. That movie, I love the movie, and the soundtrack is great. I worked at a radio station in Denver. We played a couple of tracks off of this soundtrack, and... And we played I Love You, Mary Jane, Sonic Youth, and Cypress Hill. We played Real Thing, Pearl Jam, and Cypress Hill. And we played Just Another Victim. And sometimes we played Me, Myself, and My Microphone. And those are all great songs. I love the fact that hip-hop and rock and alternative and punk all crossed over together. Before that, Spike Lee does his joint Do the Right Thing. 
and he puts Fight the Power from Public Enemy front and center as a character in the movie, right? Because Radio Raheem is carrying his boombox everywhere, and everywhere he goes, pretty much, it's P.E. pumping it out. And those old-school boomboxes, man, they could kick some serious ass. I remember seeing those boomboxes for the first time back in the 80s and being blown away. I had away. one. I didn't have one that was that good. I had a small one because I was a little guy and I couldn't carry one of those super boomboxes. But we would see guys in our neighborhood just like you see in the streets of New York City riding on their bikes, one arm on the bike and one arm on the boombox, and they're riding down the street with their tunes blaring. Uh, this is a message to any of our younger listeners who do that with just a little, you know, your phone in your pocket and you do it wireless now that's what we had to do to provide wireless sound on our ride when we were riding our bike but that movie and that song really kind of really raised the level for them not to mention there's one of the great movies of the era highlighting the racial tensions in brooklyn uh, against the backdrop of a pizza shop and it leads to terrible things and racial and racist attitudes being put on display and so, of course, they were in the middle of all that saying, hey, brother's going to work it out. They're talking about the cops involved. 911's a joke. Going, going, gone. Now, I dialed 911 a long time ago. Don't you see how late they're reacting? They only come and they come when they want to. So get the morph truck and then bomb the corner. They don't care because they stay paid anyway. They treat you like an ace that can't be betrayed. I know you stumble with no use people. If your life is on the line, then you're dead today. That's a body bag in disguise, y'all, I'll bet ya I call them body snatchers cause they come to fetch you With an autopsy ambulance just to dissect ya They are the kings cause they swing amputation Lose your arms, your legs, and them is compilation I can prove it to you, watch the rotation It all adds up to a f***ing situation So get up and get, get, get down 911 is joking your town Get up and get, get, get down Late 911 wears the late crown Reality, after the incident at 66.6 FM, tells the story. Reality, it's welcome to the fucking terror dome, motherfuckers. So many fans in the direction of being galvanized to this group for the rest of the years between then and now. And I'm right in there with them. 
You know, they wrote songs that made people uncomfortable. The Anti-N Machine is a song that made people uncomfortable. You know what else I really think it made people uncomfortable? A lot of rock people. What? Sampling John Lennon's Power to the People and making that their jam on this record, too. It made people think. That's what people fucking forgot. That it's about making you think about what's going on, what's going down. And there's Fight the Power in the hammer position to remind you why there is fear of a black planet. And hearing perspective from the black man, I think, also made society very uncomfortable as well, which is really sad because for us to achieve peace as a society and for us to work in harmony as a society, we need to understand everybody and we need to know everybody and we need to respect everybody. And we know that... Thousands of years ago, through the international trade routes, people of different cultures and skin colors lived together, worked together, and traded together peacefully. We know that. We have found that. Why can't we do that now? Do you really want to have an hour-long conversation about racism in America? Because I can go Dude. and change gears right now. Dude, it would be easy. It is a whole podcast. We could do a whole podcast. You and I, just as laymen who have lived as white men in America, could do a whole podcast about what we've seen. I can't imagine what the reality has been through the decades and through the centuries for people of color in this country, for new people, immigrants in this country. we got to stop it. Yeah. we got to stop it. And the sad part is, is a lot of our family members have forgotten how our immigrant relatives were treated when we came to America 100, 150 years ago. Because they didn't go through it, it didn't happen. Okay? That's the answer to your quandary there, brother. Well, the enemy strikes back with Apocalypse 91. Public Enemy was not going to stop now, man. They had everybody's attention, and they took it to another level. Apocalypse 91 shook the walls again, and that was when Anthrax collaborated with Public Enemy for Bring the Noise, which we have talked about. And I remember seeing that video and just thinking how damn cool it was. Did you play this on Rockers when it came out, yes. when it was new? Thank goodness. We were looking for the hints of anything. We'd already played artists that crossed that line. We'd played Body Count. We'd played the hardcore. So it was nothing to us to find our way into this crossover area. And we were waiting and ready for Judgment Night, which we already referenced. But, you know, they continue to record and they've continued to make statements through the years. When something needs to be said, sometimes they pop up and say it <laughs> but not everything that we have to say is in the right vein or right sometimes we open our mouth and we insert more than our foot we also insert our brother's foot and his brother's foot so that's what happened in the case of the minister of information for public enemy professor griff during a public enemy interview with the washington times was 
asked their opinion on the Arab-Israeli conflict, and this is when Professor Griff commented that Jews are responsible for the majority of the wickedness in the world. And obviously, that wasn't the best thing to say. After that, Chuck D was forced to try to smooth things over. And right after that incident, Professor Griff was removed from his position as Minister of Information. You know what the weird part for me is about that whole incident? Is that nobody really noticed comments he had made the previous year to Melody Maker and that there was no uproar about comments like, there's no place for gays. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was for that sort of behavior. And he also said in that interview, if the Palestinians took up arms, went into Israel and killed all the Jews, it'd be all right. Now, I don't know what went through his head or what he was thinking about, or if he was just spouting what was just the racism in his own head and not recognizing. But it took until that interview where he said it again to the Washington Times, where it caught a whole lot of shit and led to his exit. And I don't know, you can't get around that kind of hatred and be in there with the guys who are trying to change things for the better. You can't. Combating racism with other sorts of hatred definitely doesn't work when you are trying to make a difference. And in a book in 2009, he did backpedal and say, look, I made a mistake. I thought I knew more than I did. And I was being an asshole and I was wrong is basically what he said. And he was right. And the fact that he was able to admit it and make the change says a lot about a person because changing who you are is difficult because you have to face yourself in an ugly way in a way that we're uncomfortable with so I give props to Griff for well it must be something to do with being the minister of information for public enemy because sister soldier takes up that mantle and then she butts heads with the president uh, I guess it was Clinton at the time mm-hmm got on her for some comments that she made for being over the line or not. I don't know. That's up to everybody to decide in their own little world. But it led to this big, you know, crash of public enemy, you know, publicity, not necessarily what they want, although some people say all publicity is good. And you know what's weird? Through all of it, I, I got what was going on. I could see that people were freeforming their own policy over what was PE policy. If you're going to call yourself Minister of Information, you know, you got to be in sync. The fact that both of them got bounced tells me that they they weren't in sync with what the collective was trying to achieve. And that's why there was change there. And I think, uh, you know, that's part of the reason that there's change throughout the history of public enemy. When people come and go, it's either because they found other things and they're off to do them or they don't fit in the way they used to. And that actually happened with Flav at one point. He and Chuck were on the outs, right? Yeah, Chuck D got really pissed at Flava Flav for what he said at a Bernie Sanders rally and was pissed. He ended up getting removed from the band for a little while. And for uh, two friends who have been so close for so long and stuck together, that was a shocker. So that means Flav had to really upset Chuck D for that to happen and for it to be public. You got to recognize that at some point in the last few years... If you're not with us, you're against us is become a theme because of some of the forces of fascism that have risen in the world, not just in this country. So let's leave it at that. And knowing that they are all about politics, somehow they kissed and made up and they continue to move forward and make music. And part of the fun of it is the characters they are. That's not them playing. That's who they are. And they play it up. He wears the big gaudy clothes and the clocks around his neck, the giant clock. It's kind of his trademark. What if he stopped doing that? You saw Bill Drayton on the street just dressed in street clothes and, you know, maybe in a nice relaxed jumpsuit or something. You'd be like, who was that guy? He kind of looks familiar. 
Do you think you would recognize him if you were walking down New York City and you saw him dressed normally? (laughs) Absolutely not, man. Listen, man, these guys have become most loved in most quarters. If you don't get the truth in it, if you don't get the joke in it, and if you don't appreciate what they've done to build hip-hop up, then I don't know what we're talking about or why you're listening to this podcast, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) After the little spat between Flav and Chuck D, Chuck D ended up getting together with the guys from Rage Against the Machine and Cypress Hill, and they did an album and a tour together for the Prophets of Rage based on the Public Enemy song. And it was nice because the guys from Rage Against the Machine want to get back out on the road, and I know they want to do the Rage thing. Public Enemy wants to get out and do the Public Enemy thing, and now in a political and divided climate like this this is the best time for music and conversation and this is the type of band who will get us that music and conversation and i highly recommend you check out the prophets of rage record it was a day of purchase when i got it it's still in medium rotation i got other things i've had to put into heavy rotation in the last year and a half two years Mm -hmm. since it came out right i love the marriage that it created there three of my favorite artists in public enemy rage against the machine and of course the great cypress hill all working together and it really created a great marriage of those groups their sounds and their feels and their messages all together i just wish they could get zach out of the house de la rock hasn't done much in a long time i just want him to get out of the house and do the rage thing for real just a comment from me i think we're gonna see providing we get our stuff together as a society rage against the machine is going to be doing a tour in the southwest around election time again in 2022. Just saying that that's what it's looking like right now. Rammstein's coming. I'm seeing a lot of things from uh, what you're going to do when the grid goes down out of 2020, updated for 2022-24. I can see a new album coming out here, man. We could use a new album from Rage Against the Machine. We could use a new album from Public Enemy as well. I think these are the times that call for that. One of the ones that kind of got by me in the pandemic that I got to go back and get is what are you going to do when the grid goes down? It's got George Clinton on it. One track it's funny it's public enemy number w-o-n not o-n-e <laughs> like we won and that track is cool because it features mike d and ad rock as well as uh, run dmc you got nas on fight the power 2020 remix other folks in there including uh, Questlove. quest yeah, love he's working with ice t and all kinds of people and yeah, we could do a whole episode about ice t both oh, as a absolutely. rapper and his body count and all the other stuff he does what a cool dude he is true and to tie public enemy in with the whole entire history of rock and roll. These cats are all rock and roll cats. Chuck D used to go see bands like Twisted Sister and Blue Oyster Cult in Long Island when he was younger. I'm sure they were at the CBGB shows. Chuck D's always been a huge fan of The Clash. So these guys have the rock and roll tie to their music. You know what it does, man? And I think you know this. It shows that one thing that came before influences what's here now, which is going to influence what's coming down the line. And the neat thing about Public Enemy is that the influences coming in were from R&B and rap 
because that was what came before, but also those influences you just cited that Chuck personally digs and shows he's been to see. And it shows in the way that they would work with different people through the early parts and through the decades. Public Enemy's amazing run. That's what it is, man. It's one of the most amazing runs of all time. Back in the day, you wanted to get on a run, that international flight that we always talk about. The band gets on the international flight. How long are we going to stay in the air? Well, Public Enemy, man. Working on 40. They are. They're still flying at 36,000 feet. Still working on a 40, man. They're still working on the 40. They're going to get up to 40. (laughs) Yes, they are. And beyond. We need them to go beyond Mm -hmm. because 40 gets us through to the next election cycle. And then we need them, of course, for our golden years. I need Chuck D rocking in the rocker. (laughs) He's got to come up with a rhyme for rocker. And it might be me, Naka. I don't know. Hilarious. Well, we've had some fun yucking it up and having some fun with it, but the truth is we both love the music and the politics of Chuck D, Flavor Flay, Terminator X, and all the rest, the Bomb Squad, everybody. When it comes down to it, that's what is Public Enemy number one. And don't forget, kids, all art has a political element to it in some aspect. Truth. Well, let's get out figure out which stream we're going to hit next. If we made any mistakes today or we left something out of the public enemy timeline of importance, please feel free to email us imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, on Instagram at the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, and on Twitter at Imbalanced Histo. And until the next time that we get together here and do this little rock and roll history podcast, you see how we stretch the meaning of rock and roll markets. I love that about us. I love it too. So till the next time we crack the mic to talk about history of any musical variety, I'm Ray Koo. I'm Marcus Goldman. And thanks for sharing in our imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.